And thank you to our special sponsors, iris.co.uk. Martin, you saw a great video just recently from Iris, didn't you? Yeah, well, I think people don't understand Iris is they were ahead of the game for MTD phase one because they were the first software there to be listed as approved by the HMR CTD filing. And guess what? They're fully prepared for the next. So they've got an MTD webinar on demand that you can catch up with at any time. Rob, where did they go to to see this? It's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. That stands for making tax digital for our international listeners. And there's some great stuff there that you need to know to guide you through the whole Making Tax Digital initiative. So at iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Right, Martin? That's right. So wherever you are in your journey, at Iris know that they have the knowledge and tools to help you in the next steps. That's iris.co.uk forward slash MTD webinar. Welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to have with me today an old friend, Jeremy Hyman. Good day to you, sir. Hello. How are you doing today, Rob? Splendid, Jeremy. Lovely to have you on the show. Jeremy, there'll be some people listening that may not have come across you and JHA. So just tell us a little bit about how you got into this game and what kind of things you do for accountants. Thank you. Yes. Well, I went to work for a firm of accountants at uh, a very young age and was their IT manager, okay. uh, which I loved. And I obviously was doing something right because I became a partner there. I was uh, 26 at the time. So you're an accountant like a... qualified as well? Well, I trained in law. Okay. I always say I've got three areas of discipline to bore people with, accountancy, <laughs> law, and IT. So uh, I was a partner there for about 14 years, and then I left and set up my own business. And it's a consulting business, but I stuck to what I know, and the majority of the clients that I serve with my associates are, in fact, accountants. Right. Uh, we work for about 20 of the top 60 in the UK. We work with firms of two sizes, medium size and, and large. With the medium firms, we provide a sort of an external CTO function or CIO function, working with their internal delivery team, or with their external providers. And with larger firms, we are non-executive counsel. So firms realize that IT is a huge spend for them. Yeah. And they like a bit of external governance or advice. And we provide that from an independent perspective. Yeah. And we're in uncertain times at the moment. We can't ignore the COVID thing that's going on right now. How have you seen accountants cope with COVID? On the whole, our clients have coped very well indeed. So it came as an initial shock to many of them. And I think it required an agility, which perhaps traditionally accountants are not recognized for. But at the same time, it proved that accountants are way more versatile than they're given credit for. So presented with a problem, they worked out a series of solutions, adopted them and got on with things. It's an interesting point about accountants and agility because they thrive on hard data, solid information. They want to make accurate decisions. And we're in times of such unpredictability and uncertainty that everything the accountant would traditionally stand on is like sand, isn't it? I think that's right. But underneath the sand, there's some bedrock as well. Right. And accountants knew that their clients would need advice and they knew that they are the trusted third party of choice mm -hmm. and they knew that they would therefore have a future. So there were some tactical decisions they had to make in order to make sure they could continue to deliver service. But that fundamental relationship with their clients, being there to help and being there to advise, yeah. they knew was, was going to continue in the long term. Now you talked about your clients adapting well and showing some agility. Let's talk about the profession as a whole because not all of the accounting firms out there have the benefit of your guide 
patterns. So you've obviously seen examples where firms have not coped well with this. That's right. I mean, I'd love them all to be my clients, but I appreciate that not everyone is enlightened. So that's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the sad truth, I'm afraid, and I see this from some of the, the, the M&A work that's going on, is that the firms within the profession that didn't adapt fast enough had a whole load of problems arrive on their doorstep very rapidly mm. and looked to sell out and to find other firms that were better suited to deal with the exigencies of COVID-19 so they could carry on doing what they do in a different shell. And I've seen quite a few firms do that. And what has stopped firms from adapting to what's happening? Is it an ignorance? Is it an arrogance, a complacency? Those are hard phrases, arrogance and complacency. Well, when I say uh, arrogance, I simply mean that accountants, uh, they've got an elegant business model, is recurring funds, everybody needs them. There must be a certain complacency in that. I think that there is a complacency in, in the profession, but I think that that complacency has rapidly been eroded over the yeah. past year. There has certainly been a realisation. There's been a bit of thinning out. There's been some people who've said this is one change beyond the number of changes I was willing to do and I'm mm. off. All of those things have happened. I, I don't think accountants are complacent. I think that they are traditional and they are steady and they can't always change. It's not that they don't want to, it's they find it just hard. It's not in their nature. That's why they became accountants. And that's a very diplomatic and fair way of putting it. So when you look at the middle and large accounting firms right now, back in the day, technology was not a major criteria for qualifying and being good at your job. But these days, accountants, they do need to master the tech, the software. They need to know more than 10 in a computer on and off, don't they? They do. And it's going to sound very harsh uh, judgment on many of the vendors in the market. But actually, the problem we have with new recruits into the sector is that the technology that they then encounter is so backward compared to what they're used to. So they come from a very tech-savvy background. They've been through college. They've learned about data analytics. They've learned about a whole range of disciplines that are quite advanced as part of their general tuition. They use their iPad, they use their iPhone, and then they're confronted with a practice management system or a tax calculation system written in the mid-90s and never really updated. Mm. So funnily enough, the, the technology shock for a lot of people coming into their first job in an accountancy firm is the terrible backwardness of it, not the need to learn new skills. And so you're going so far as to say a lot of the technology out there is not fit for purpose. It certainly was fit for purpose. It's yeah. becoming less and less fit for purpose with the passage of time. Yeah. And we know that COVID is accelerating things and the advancement of technology. Yeah, sure. It's pretty fast, but some of these providers are perhaps a little bit entrenched and are not moving as fast as they need to. You used earlier words like arrogance and complacency. Okay. And I'm afraid I see it far more in right. the vendor side of the equation than the consumer side of the equation. There are some entrenched providers who've been there for 20, 30 years, yeah. own vast amounts of market share and are resting on their laurels, really, and not adapting to the new world. So what kind of issues does that present for the accounting profession? I think frustration. You know, I sit around the table with IT professionals within our clients. I talk at conferences. I speak to people. And we're at a position with the traditional vendors where the desire and capability of firms far outstrips the abilities of the software that they are using. Um, so that builds up tremendous frustration. It's the reverse, if you like, of where clients want to be. So these big systems are uh, really quite closed. They are on-premise. They are expensive. And they're commercially inflexible. You know, you sign up for years at a time for a system that you need to be able to flex the amount of users or the capabilities that you get out of it. If they've got a guarded market position, these providers, these vendors, Jeremy, invested interest in the status quo, if you like, how can we go about changing that? The advice that we often give to people that we're working with is where you can go to the general market for a solution used to do so. So for example, practice management, there's nothing special about practice management for an accountant. Right. It's no different than any other professional service 
services organization. Document management, CRM, workflow, automation, these are all at the center of where a firm should be. Right. And there are tremendous general market solutions out there that firms should adopt. And in doing so, that exerts pressure on those industry vendors to catch up. And where is the change being driven from? Is it coming from clients saying we need this? Or is it coming from the accountants saying we need this? Or are some of the vendors pulling their finger out, if you like, and saying, look, we can see where this is going. So we're going to build this for you. There is some of that. There is an appreciation amongst vendors of the need to change. Right. But I tend to see it more in the smaller systems for smaller firms. Bigger firms are still are still under the uh, the cost of those vendors really rather too much. It sounds unfair. It sounds like I'm having a, a vendor bash, which I'm not. The bigger vendors at least are talking about more open architectures, more collaborative approaches to the way that their systems are built. Mm. But in actual terms of that being delivered to the market, it seems to be taking a very long time. Yeah. I was chatting to a podcast guest yesterday who was saying how different things are internationally. He works in the US and he was saying some people still use checks. Yeah. There are a lot of legacy technology providers, aren't there, that are not even yet in the cloud? Yeah, absolutely. And we find that remarkable. But then I think if I looked at the revenue streams as one of those suppliers, I wouldn't be rushing to change it. They are cash cows. They're making a lot of money. Why rush to change that? But we're yeah. certainly at a tipping point. And it's a tipping point that's being informed by general market solutions, mm. technologies like Office 365, technologies like the Power Automate platform, which are easily accessed by professionals within firms who are then saying, why can't I do this all across my estate? And that pressure is definitely building up on the legacy vendors to come to the market and deal with it. How good are vendors at talking to each other? I think that they are wary of talking to one another. The desire to own a client is strong and that vendors want a client to buy as much of their suite as they can. Yeah. It's therefore not in their interest to talk to other vendors in the market. That model will change. If, if you look at the general market, uh, Microsoft and an Oracle and a Salesforce, all of whom compete at many levels, all of their software nonetheless integrates with all of their other bits of software. Yeah. So so they've learned that growth comes through openness and collaboration and not through running a closed shop. And Indeed. that must be the way forward. Mm. And one of the features of COVID has been the increased amount of M&A activity consolidation in the accounting market. Have we seen that with the tech providers as well? Yes, we definitely see that. So there have been acquisitions by the large providers of some of the small upcoming providers in order to shortcut their route to market in a cloud world. Yeah. So the firms that you talk to and advise, Jeremy, what kind of problems are they traditionally having that would lead them to say, quick, let's get Jeremy Hyman in here? <laughs> I think the challenges that usually drive people to us are working out how they can have a independent advisor to get them through a particular difficulty. If you look at where most advice comes to accountancy firms in the technology space, it tends to come from vendors, which isn't entirely unbiased. Yeah, they've and, got a vested interest, haven't they? Yeah, and good luck to them. But oftentimes we will start speaking to a firm who say, is this really the right thing to do? You know, IT is a big spend for us and the main advisor are the people we're spending that spend with. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. So quite often it comes from a desire for some independent advice from a, a sort of a credible expert and partners use it to win over other partners. The biggest challenge that most partners face is the fear of failure in the partnership and making a decision which then turns out not to work. So that fear of failure is a tremendous barrier for change. Yeah, that's an interesting point because the higher up you go in an accounting firm, the more accountable you are, the more people are measuring the success of your tenure in revenues and succession and everything else. So there's a lot at stake, isn't there? There is. And if something works okay, leave well enough alone. Mm -hmm. So to be brave enough to make a change that will really deliver a radical improvement to the firm is quite brave. And people
people come to us because they want to get a bit of power to their elbow and say, we're doing it because we've had independent advice that this is a good path forward and a credible expert can deliver that. And how do you assure them of your independence? Because you must get courted by providers and suppliers and vendors to say, hey, look, you should be recommending us and here's why. You must have some vested interests too, surely. (laughs) That's a a straight question, isn't it? Uh, The number of Christmas cards that I don't get from vendors would shock you. Really? Uh, There's no bottles of malt whiskey in your cupboard? No, we might send them out to our clients. We never receive them from any of our suppliers. No, we are fiercely independent and sometimes that's to our cost. So I wouldn't say we are the most popular in the market with some of the vendors, but we just stick to our guns and we have a very clear view of what is right and what is wrong. Mm -hmm. And we are absolute in our mechanism that we are rewarded by our clients for our service and not by suppliers. Yeah. Can you give us an example, Jeremy, without naming names of an accounting firm that made the wrong decision with technology, how much it cost them in terms of culture, reputation, actual money? There's a lot at stake is what I'm getting at. That's a good question. And I have to answer it somewhat guardedly. Where I most often see an error having been made is where a firm has grown, but has not changed its infrastructure or processes or approach to things to reflect its new size. Mm. So they still think as a small firm, even though they've become a big firm. And that can be reflected in procurement, in integration, in operating processes. As to the cost of that, it's hard to pull a dollar value to it, but the cost to it normally gets shown in two areas. The first one is the quality and availability of their data, because they can't really get to the information that's being held in silos and in systems that are inappropriate for the size of firm. And second of all, it's evident in the lack of integration. So there is far too much manual operation just to keep the firm running from the ingestion of data from clients through to processing, through to collaboration, it requires an awful lot of touch points from people within the firm, which costs a lot of money and also slows down client service. So I'm not sure I can put a value to it, but accountants listening to this will be able to put their own values to those activities. Yeah. And you talked about firms that are thinking too small or thinking that they are still a small firm. I've had stories too of accounting firms that think they're a big firm. So they invest in some huge technology project like a CRM that is a Rolls Royce for them. And they really only need a little mini or Robin Reliant or something like that. I think there are two themes that that would pick up on from what you say there. First one is that I strongly recommend against monolithic projects. So the gleam in the eye of the CRM salesman (laughs) is to be watched out for with great care. So rather than invest in a vast monolithic solution that will do everything, take it a chunk at a time. By all means, have a framework of where you wish to get to, but then take a little bit of project at the time, prove that it's worth, do another bit and another bit. Second point that I would say in terms of buying too big a system is that quite often accountants have got all the systems they need. They don't need to buy anything at all. What they need to do is use what they have better, use the data that's within those systems more effectively and just make the most of what they already have. And I think quite often it's easier to buy something than it is to use something. And we see that so many times. So rather than invest heavily in a big CRM, look at the data already in your practice management system and use that to drive activity using Microsoft 365 Apple. You bring up a key point, Jeremy. I've just written down the word adoption and it's okay getting the best technology, but if your people are not using it or it's not even easy to use, it doesn't matter how good it is, does it? No. And the organic component of any system is often the least regarded. Users only have a finite capacity for change and systems changing rapidly, being rolled out to them without proper engagement and without training and without adoption is just money down the drain. Yeah. I'm thinking of the buying process where the head of digital or head of tech in an accounting firm or you in some ways, if you're advising them, you are sitting down and talking to vendors that they are considering. What 
what kind of questions would you ask a vendor to make them feel uncomfortable, if you like, or establish whether that technology is fit for purpose? Question number one, and it's a barrier, which if they cannot get through it, they don't even get to the first base. So the most important thing is to have an API, an application programming interface and a two-way API. If a vendor tries to offer a solution, if we cannot read and write the data in that system, other than through their own interface, it doesn't get to first base. We wouldn't entertain that. Okay. So the API is first base. What might be a next question or second base? Second base would be the nature of the contractual tie-in. We have little patience for very long-term contractual lock-ins to vendors. So traditionally, you might look at service providers insisting on a five-year term. I mean, five years in technology, it's it's (laughs) comical. You know, are you using any tech that you had five years ago? Mm. Your monitor, maybe. I mean, that's, that's probably about it. So we resist strongly commitments beyond a year or two at the very outside of three year one. And even within that, we negotiate heavily for technology refreshes or contractual refreshes through the term of the contract. Is there anything else beyond that that firms might be thinking of asking? The third one is to explore relevant experience from the vendor. So what have they done before that is a close match to what we're asking them to do now? You want to invest as little time as possible in getting your vendor up to speed in the general language of your firm and allow them to focus rapidly on the specific needs of your project. Yeah, I'm not a technology expert, but one of the things I have seen vendors improving on is their willingness and ability to educate their accounting clients on using the software that they're putting in. So that's a start, isn't it? Again, you have to dig under the surface and make sure that the resources they're bringing into that equation are of a quality suitable. If you look at your average accountant and they're charging out 100, 200, 300 pounds an hour, maybe four or 500 pounds an hour, Mm -hmm. we don't really want to waste their time with a suboptimal trainer or adoption expert. Occasionally, vendors feel having someone labeled as a trainer or a customer success manager is enough. We want to see that they are qualitatively good for the job as well. Yeah. Now, you work internationally, Jeremy. Do you see any differences across different parts of the world in their attitude to technology or indeed the quality of technology that's been offered to their accountants? I think that's a a really interesting question. We do work internationally. Funnily enough, COVID-19 has flattened the world and so many issues that we thought were isolated or geographically limited turn out to be global issues. On reflection, that's a good thing. We've learned a lot more about one another and how similar we are in the challenges. And that has allowed us to collaborate more strongly on solving those problems. So you talk to managing partners a lot, Jeremy. What do you sense is their biggest challenge over the next year or two? The biggest challenge is resistance. Resistance from their staff, resistance from their partners, resistance sometimes from clients. And it's having the confidence to believe in a plan and to execute that plan and push it through. It's so easy to be in a, in a partnership meeting or board meeting where you go in thinking, I've got absolutely the right idea here. Five people agree and the sixth one says, oh, I'm not sure. Right. And then before you know it, the idea has gone out the window. So they need to have the confidence to push that through and the diplomacy, which is not always a quality every managing partner has to bring people with them. Yeah. And why is there that resistance? I think that even in a partnership, there are inevitably vested interests. Everyone's got a particular need that they are trying to satisfy. And the aversion to change that that generates is translated into resistance. It's easier to leave something alone. Even if the process that you're leaving alone is quite bad, people would rather put up with something that isn't that good than go through the pain and effort of changing it. And that translates into resistance. Yeah. I came up with a quote just accidentally a few months ago as I was chairing a panel. And I said, there are too many accounting firms using yesterday's technology to serve today's clients to solve tomorrow's problems. And I was quite proud when I came up with it. But does that sum up where we're at in some ways? I just need to write down that quote. 
and start <laughs> using it liberally. It's an excellent quote. I think that's an excellent summation. And I don't think that's just about technology. I think that's mm. about attitudes. And you can see it now, you know, when you join now a Zoom call or a Teams call with somebody, the people that are attitudinally stunted find it hard to join the call. The lighting's wrong, the video's wrong, the, the audio is wrong. You think, well, these aren't terribly hard to do. Yeah. So you need to adapt to the times. So you mentioned resistance and diplomacy as being challenges for managing partners. Any other things you see them struggling with right now that's top of their list? Making the right selections in technology is very difficult for them. They are poorly equipped to make those decisions because their decisions are outside of their expertise. Okay. And where do they turn for that advice? And I know this is obviously what I do, but where do they turn for advice about decisions that will have a long-term impact for them? Mm. Picking the right framework, picking the right vendor, picking the right solution are decisions they're going to have to live with for several years and are going to consume a lot of budget. And those decisions, they are sometimes poorly equipped to take. Well, let's come back to budget. What should they be focusing their budgets on for the next two or three years? You've got to paint this in big picture terms. Right. Integration between systems is critical to reduce the amount of re-entry of data and the diminished quality of data that yeah. results from that. The elimination of paper, the absolute elimination of paper. So we were happy with less paper and now we need to be paperless. The appropriate use of automation in the right bits of the firm in the right ways. And most importantly, there should be a budget to help users understand and adopt systems, which is often the poor relation in IT budgets. And yet that is critical. And that goes from having a, an excellent service desk through to having trainers, through to supporting our users in the systems that we give them. And you started to hint there at some of the approaches that successful firms are taking right now. Absolutely. The most successful approach I would say I see from firms at the moment is to see opportunity in change. That is the headline item. They've had change forced upon them at a rate that they haven't seen ever in their professional lives. So the most successful firms are finding opportunity through that. There is a rapid move toward greater collaboration and closeness with clients. And so we're increasing the overlap with clients at a strategic and operational levels. And the near universal move to video calls, funnily enough, has really helped with this. Yeah. People are getting to know one another much better than they ever have before. I don't know how much of a futurist you are, Jeremy, but if you got your crystal ball out right now, what do you see as coming up in technology for accounting firms over the next year or so? Because COVID's not going away anytime soon, is it? No, COVID is not going away anytime soon. I'm going to answer that question maybe in a way that you don't expect me to. We have become a little bit too technology addicted. We are falling into the trap sometimes of seeing technology as a solution for everything. Technology is not that. Technology is an enabler for humans to be the best human they can be, whether that's advising a client, whether it's ringing them up and saying how you're getting along, whether it's just being on the end of a phone and giving great advice. It doesn't matter what it is. But if we put technology at the front of that relationship, we diminish the human component. Mm. And I think technology needs to live behind the people, not in front of them. That's a very, very good answer. Very fair answer as well, because people might expect you to be hailing technology as the future and what's going to keep us all going and where we should all be putting our time. But that can be counterproductive. Absolutely. Uh, my, my favorite bit of technology at the moment is the technology that means I don't have to spend three or four hours commuting in a car or a train. Yeah. I, I never enjoyed that. I might have compensated for that time by working or by enjoying the environment, but it was never a choice. So technology at its very best is not seen 
and just makes the rest of our lives easier. Yeah. Jeremy, this has been enlightening and very refreshing talking to you today. If people want to find out more about what you're doing and accounting firms are listening and perhaps are going to need your advice, what's a good way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, best thing to do is just come onto the website, jeremyhyman.co.uk, and you'll see a bit of background about us, the work that we do, the associates that I have, and always have to have a chat and share our views. Jeremy, this has been terrific. Would you leave us with some words of encouragement or even advice to the accountants and leaders of accountants listening that want to embrace the technology, they want to do the right thing, but perhaps struggling with a bit of overwhelm, all the decisions that they've got to make. And there is a lot at stake reputation and budget wise with these decisions. There is. I think that the opportunity provided by the tremendous change that is in the world at the moment is there to be grasped. And professional services firms and accountants in particular are well-placed to do so. Their stock in trade is advice and expertise, which is the most mobile of assets. And the appropriate use of technology and the brave use of technology sometimes is a tremendous way to deliver that asset to a whole range of clients, both near and far. Well said. Jeremy Harmon, that's been world-class. Thank you so much for your time today. Bob, it's an absolute pleasure. And thank you very much for the opportunity to chat today. Welcome our newest commercial partner to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. It's Practice Ignition. You like these guys, Martin, don't you? What do you like about them? I, I like what accounting firms tell me, Robert. And one of the things that I ask accounting firms is why add this to your app stack? Another thing to use, another piece of technology. So why? And they say, because when it comes to winning new work, they can send a proposal immediately after a meeting with a prospect. And it includes their terms and conditions, their sales brochure, place to enter payment, info and sign. It just shortens their sales cycle. Well, I like the onboarding thing. There's no more chasing payments because they get the clients to put in the payment details, they digitally sign it, they get it billed automatically and it's on the schedule of the accounting practitioners. That just makes so much sense. Yeah, no more double or triple checking. The invoice has been paid in the accounting software. It's done automatically. And when you send a proposal or you get paid, PI crunches the numbers and spits out just about every metric you could ask for. So there's no more spreadsheets or wondering how you're doing. Yeah, it's the best in class for what they do. And if people want to go to practiceignition.com, use this special code AIR21, A-I-R-21. You'll get 25% off all plans for your first six months. So just go to the website and get your 14-day trial and you're up and running.